folks. Welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Amers. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode five of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. We are back with a lot of energy and a beautiful sunshine outside. It's finally hit the summertime, so I'm so, so glad. Um, last time I spoke to you, I was in Germany, where the weather is a little bit better than in northern England, I dare say. Um, but summer's hit, and there's something else as well that has hit, and I really want to talk to you about, and that is the publication of my new books, two very fine pieces of writing, if I dare say so. And I have been working towards this for a long, long time, been really um, working very hard on pulling it all together for you, making it look uh, beautiful, putting it all in the right order and so on and so forth. And we are right now in the early bird pre-sale period. So if you are listening to this before the 31st of July, go to www.fluentlanguage.co.uk slash book where you can secure the whole combo package of my two new books where you will get the books, two of them, in, as ebooks. And I'm going to give you three formats, no charging extra for formats here, it's nonsense. Um, I'll give you an audio book of my first one and also you'll get full access to the online section, some extra worksheets. It, if you follow what you read in these books and if you take it seriously and work on this your language learning skills your routines are going to kick butt afterwards it's really going to improve your learning skills book number one is called fluency made achievable and that's about that's a deep dive into core language skills really and the second one is called the vocab cookbook um and it's i'd like to think of it as a bit of a process description with recipes i guess <laughs> but it's it's a whole look at vocabulary learning we look at we break it down into its different components so acquiring vocabulary how do you memorize things how do you revise how important are flashcards how it what other methods are there that we can work with there's a whole lot for us to discover um researching this has been lots of fun and I've, I'm making you some worksheets to um, try out the slightly crazier methods by yourselves as well. It's really, really fun. So anything that you want to talk to me about with regard to these books, if you've got any questions, um, just get in touch with me. But I can't wait for you to discover these. So do check them out. Um, Pre-sale ends on the 31st of July. And then after that, we're going to get back into the main pricing. So if you want to grab a bargain, now is the time. And that will be the end of the public service uh, announcement from Fluent. <laughs> and time to get into the meat of the podcast. I have one news item that I quickly want to mention. And then afterwards, we're getting into our main interview. And this week, I have a wonderful, wonderful guest. His name is Andre Klein a language teacher, author, writes books. He has been so supportive to me in my own journey as a foreign language teacher on the internet. He's really got a cool perspective on things and a kind of chilled out attitude. And I can't wait to hear, f I, can't, well, I can't wait for you to hear from Andre. So just give me a second and we're going to get the, to the news section.
All right, so into the news section. The news article I wanted to briefly mention this week comes from BBC News magazine, and I will put the article in the show notes so that you can have easy access to it. And this is about 20, they have they featured 20 readers who have lost fluency in their own language. And the idea, um, or the thing that makes them, made them ask for people to send in their own stories of losing their native or their first language was that during a five-year captivity in Afghanistan, um, U.S. soldier Bova Bergdahl apparently lost some language capabilities. So the BBC reporter was wondering, is this a real thing? Is it about captivity? Or when we are in a foreign language environment, do we lose our own language? And the thing I found really interesting is that I really felt connected to a lot of the stories I heard there. Um, the first one in particular, it's a lady called Christina Schmaler O'Hagan, and a, a German lady who lives in Ireland. And she's, she says, I can swear in English, but I don't know any German expletives. And okay, I'll admit I know the German swearing, but I, I don't like doing it at all. Whereas in English, when I'm not just recording a podcast or writing beautiful articles for you guys, my my language is terrible. I say F word a lot. Um, and I think that's very, very interesting. And she talks about the cultural connection. So there is the swearing. And then she says, being from a more reserved nation, saying ich liebe dich does not come as easily as saying I love you. And I also find this, uh, saying I love you is a lot easier. So saying ich liebe dich in Germany, that's a big, that's a big thing. We don't just throw that around. Um, whereas I love you is a little bit more easy to say. So I really connected to Christina's story. And there are stories of English native speakers who, would you believe it, moved to Italy, moved to Denmark. They're language is so good now, the Italian and the Danish, they've completely lost the English and it's really difficult. Um, my own personal story relating to this is really that I agree and I find that when I speak to my family now, I find it trickier to speak German. And in fact, this was, this was the most difficult in my first three or four years of living in the UK and being completely surrounded and immersed in English. Whereas now that I teach German and I speak German a bit more regularly to my students, it's become a lot easier for me to speak German again. But I have totally lost my home dialect. I do not speak Mosel Frankish, which is a beautiful, beautiful, silly sounding dialect. Um, it would be really great to hear from you guys. Have you lost uh, your native language? Have you, do you find that it's difficult? And if you've been immersed in your foreign language for a few hours? And another question would be, do you think immersion is worth losing your first language over? Do you fear this? Um, send me some answers. You can either reply to the blog comment that I will post, or you can just send me an email to Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk. That was the news section for podcast episode number five.
to the main event is an interview with Andre Klein. Like I said, a really inspirational um, and kind of alternative person. I really enjoy his views about learning, about teaching, and about not having to do things um, as the system prescribes them. I was going to say by the book, but funnily enough, Andre writes books. He is a really accomplished self-publisher um, and his books are written mostly for German learners, but he's also written some Hebrew um, learning books and various things about learning English. Uh, this is a really fascinating educator and we're going to hear what Andre has to say about language learning through storytelling, which I think is the way to make it not boring sometimes and don't we all struggle with language learning being oh, being very boring <laughs> right so here we go hello andre all right so i am here with andre klein who is a german um, and an author of many books that are very useful for learning german now andre you're German, but not in the usual sense. From what I gather, you live in Israel now, and you've grown up That's in lots correct. of yeah. You've grown up in lots of different places. So maybe, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of an idea about where you're actually from? Sure. So my name is Andre Klein, and as you correctly noted, I currently live in Israel, in the beautiful seaside city of Haifa, and yeah. I am an author of uh, German learning stories. At least uh, that's kind of that has become the main focus of what I've been doing over the last few years. To use storytelling as a medium for teaching language, specifically German. And yes, I've uh, grown up in quite a few places in my life so far, and I guess that has also influenced the way I teach or write to a certain extent. And how do you see yourself primarily as a language teacher, as a language learner, as a writer? How do languages come into your life? That's a very good question because actually uh, I do not make such a clear distinction. I used to teach quite a lot, one-on-one uh, -on -one lessons, either online or offline, German, English, French. Uh, Spanish sometimes, but recently I'm really only writing, so to speak, but I still don't feel that I'm only writing or that I'm not so much teaching anymore as before where I was really officially teaching. And besides, I'm also learning Hebrew all the time at the moment. So I'm also a language learner. So yeah, a bit of everything. <laughs> Uh, do you um, do you consume stories in Hebrew as a learner yourself? If there were stories <laughs> <laughs> that were that were interesting enough, yeah, I would I would do that more. Unfortunately, there there aren't really uh, so many good materials in in that kind of a sense. So I'm I'm working mostly with news articles, television series, music. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's. I think you said something really, really important there, which is that um, the stories that you consume need to be interesting, right? Right. And I think maybe that's a good maybe that's a good start to talk about storytelling as a teaching device. So, for me as a language tutor, how can how can involving a story spice up a lesson? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, the, the thing is, language has, has many moving parts, right? There is the, the grammar aspect, and we have the pronunciation aspect, and there certainly are a lot of rules to each language, no matter how complex or seemingly simple. There are certain things you just have to know, certain systems, regularities, and those things are all nice, and you have to learn them, but this is not everything in a language. There is this whole other aspect to languages, which is non-regular, let's call it like that. Non-regular. Which is, yes, <laughs> or irregular for the verb learners here. Um, there, there is an aspect which uh, cannot easily be, be classified into a kind of, um, in a systematic way. Because we have to think, how, how do we start learning a language? Usually we hear our mothers speaking to us and, and we, we imitate the sounds that we hear. And there is a kind of um, emotional aspect, you could say, or more intuitive aspect. In, in short, I just want to, to put this aside to contrast it with the, the area which is non-regular, non-regulated, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And this is the aspect where storytelling can be immensely helpful to to access this kind of a part because learning grammar or verbs there are methods which are time tested they just work and um, i'm sure you've studied many of these methods um you're writing a book about this you told me so yes absolutely it's you know vocab focused and grammar focused and it's very much about how do i get this into my head and how do i not forget it then Exactly, exactly. So it's it's not much of a mystery in the end. Uh, although there are, you can test for each learner something works, which doesn't work for another. So, um, but when it comes to this other aspect of of language, it's it's quite a mystery sometimes. Actually, what what glues all these parts together, all these individual parts that make up a language, from pronunciation to grammar and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yes. This. Absolutely. The, the kind of a sense of a language, so to speak. Yeah? Yes, I had a, um, uh, you might be aware, I'm, I'm running this thing at the moment. It's called the 50 Calls Project. Um, it was just a thing, a way of me starting conversations, 50 conversations with language learners and different language teachers. Um, and I kind of just wanted to know, where are you stuck? What do you want to know about? And many, many people mention um, they want to talk to native speakers. They want to you know, they want to have this kind of sense of a language. And one lady I spoke to, she described it as when you're in the country, you are feeling a language. And I thought that's exactly, that's such a good way of putting it. Definitely. And uh, that's precisely the thing that many people do not have an access to this natural environment of a language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if people are living abroad, or perhaps, uh, as is often noted, that when you're going to Germany and you want to practice German with Germans, they will often just switch to English, right? Or in other countries where uh, people really like to speak English or even to show off a bit, like in Scandinavia or in <laughs> many of the Germanic language countries, it might be quite difficult, actually. Also in Israel, it's the same when you speak to people and they know you're kind of a foreigner, they will very quickly switch to English. So. Even if you're in the country, it's not always that easy to get access to natural speakers, uh, native speakers. Native speakers, absolutely. And I think there's also an issue in 
in the confidence, really, because I found that a lot of the people I spoke to really have a fear of uh, judgment, almost, or identifying oh, themselves yes, as a learner. So within the sort of safety of your own bedroom, you're much more you're much more at ease at saying, I am a learner, I'm not so great at this. But with a native exactly. speaker, you feel like you have to reach their level. Exactly, because it uh, makes you feel that, that you're not an adult, meaning you cannot express many of the ideas that you have. So you're just reduced to a kind of three-year-old saying yes or no, or stumbling over your own words. And Very true. It is quite terrifying. Yes, and it's, it's, it's frustrating for almost every adult learner. Definitely. So, so two things that, that I sort of hear from what you're saying is that Oh, I mean, the second is kind of me guessing ahead, really, is the first one is it has to be interesting. It has to be engaging and it has to be it has to be something that is away from really learning a language. So you want to you want to teach a language. If we're thinking linguistics, it could be almost a pragmatic way of using language. So how does this actually yes. all come together and work? Um, and the second bit that I guess it has to be understandable. That's what I'm hearing from your Hebrew. You you could read. I mean, you, you know, you could just sit down and try and read the God knows the Bible or Harry Potter or whatever story, you know, switches you on. But it's a bit difficult linguistically still, isn't it? Right. So it has to be both interesting and simple enough. That's kind of the, the balance. Mm -hmm. the, the crucial point or the holy grail even of interesting stories for language learners because we we see a lot of texts also both in textbooks or in internet uh, learning apps and there's often the problem that these sentences are either too simple or just not interesting enough to make an effort right because there's this thing okay i'm going to work myself through this whole paragraph but is it going to make me smile is it going to make me feel anything or like what do i get out of it Oh, that's very true. And that's very, yes, definitely, because I think that's one of the downfalls of things like Duolingo, where you do it, but I mean, what it doesn't feel relevant to real life to say, you know, this lady has a chicken um, yes. and things like that. It just doesn't feel relevant. So that's what you're trying to bridge with your stories. Exactly. There's a lack of context often in these things, especially in these learning apps, which are often very fast paced and you click yes or no and you get a smiley face or a non-smiley face. And uh, there's no real, real world context, so to speak. And stories are actually a perfect way to to bring in this larger context of a language. Mm -hmm. So how would you recommend that people, if somebody doesn't have a teacher... I can use stories in my lessons. If somebody doesn't have a teacher and they're a sort of self-paced adult learner, which is a lot of the people I know that I speak to and that read my blog and eventually start perhaps working with a tutor, but not at the start, um, they sort of look for this. They look exactly for that content that is interesting and it is simple enough for them. So how would you recommend they go about finding this? Finding stories or mm -hmm. um, finding the, the right approach to working with these stories? Finding stories, first of all, and then we'll have a look as well about l working with them and how to learn, you know, how to really learn a language with them. Well, first of all, you could, of course, go to our bookshop and <laughs> take a look at our German learning stories. Yeah, absolutely. 
which are already prepared in a certain sense for learners. Mm. Um, and you do have stories for English learners too. Yeah, there's this one thing that uh, I think you also contributed a story and many other English teachers mm -hmm. where we kind of, we prepared a few stories. That's the only thing so far, right? Oh, it was so much fun. It was really, I think it's, we can be really proud of it. And there's poems, there's stories in there, uh, long ones and short ones I found, and also a bit of nonfiction. So it's a really nice compendium. Yeah, it has a lot of, lot of things in there. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, Yeah, this is there. We we have little stories which we've prepared a bit. Meaning we we have added um, vocabulary and uh, comprehension question on a very simple basis, um, multiple choice. And uh, if if you find something like this, great, use it. But um, there are it's it proves that it's often not that easy to find these kind of materials for any kind of language, at least uh, as we've said before, I haven't yet found such a thing in Hebrew, for example, which is both interesting and simple enough, right? So, um, but there's still something which you can do if you don't find spe uh, specifically prepared uh, materials that you could just uh, look around a bit or ask people, check on Wikipedia, what are kind of um, well-known authors of short stories in this language? Short stories. And mm -hmm. specifically short stories, not novels or something like that, but short stories because the genre itself often uses a kind of language which is conducive to, to language learning. Oh, that's really good. Uh, what do you think of children's or teenager literature? Because I often yeah. recommend to people to work with those because the vocabulary tends to be a little bit more restricted and simple. Right. That, that, is, an, that is an option also one of the first thoughts that learners have in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But there is a kind of a problem that um, you feel kind of that it's a bit condescending perhaps, or mm -hmm. like you're, you're not, in, I'm not a three-year-old child, you know? Okay, I'm a language learner. I don't yet know the language, but I don't just want to hear about uh, pink giraffes. You know, I, <laughs> my, my, my interests in life are a bit uh, bigger than that. I understand. Yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, I like teenage literature for that. Every now and then I still read. Right. Um, but I, the problem is that a lot of stories tend to then go into the supernatural and the kind of very silly, romantic um, werewolf vampire genre. Which isn't, <laughs> it isn't helpful. So it, it, so again, we've, we're running into this problem of things being quite difficult to find. So short right. stories are, a, I think that's an excellent recommendation. Yeah, so also the genre of the so short story um, became popular only in the, let's say, 20th century. So the language, especially if you're looking at uh, German, for example, is already uh, modernized in a certain way. Yeah. Oh, that's reassuring to know as well. And you're right, it's, it has this sort of real-life relevance. Exactly. It mostly deals with like one event or like one one narrative unit, so to speak, whether it's one day or uh, one one focus on something very specific. So there there isn't much uh, Baroque language, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. And moving on, say, let's say we found a story and you sort of ready for the challenge. Um, how would you recommend people go about learning a language, sort of taking practical steps um, or should we just enjoy it? Or are there really steps a language learner can take to get the most out of what they're reading? 
That's a great question. Um, if you if you would be using one of our uh, stories that are already prepared, you could just jump in and uh, look up the words in a kind of a dictionary which is already there. Um, usually, I, this is also what I would recommend, is to really just try to get into the flow of the story. Because as I've said before, um, the main thing here is trying to get a sense of the language. Not really, it's not so much about understanding every tiny word, but just trying to read. And also, if you don't understand everything, just continuing to read. Mm -hmm. So, but that may prove difficult if you don't have kind of a vocabulary key or at least kind of a basis of certain words that keep cropping up and you just don't understand them and it's frustrating. So it may be helpful to prepare short stories in a certain way before you even read them. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's something, there's something really interesting there because you, you, you're right. In order to really get a sense and kind of get to the stage where you can really enjoy it, uh, you've got to, you know, you don't have to look up every single word. You can... Make yourself, I mean, what I used to do back in the day when I read things and they were printed on actual paper, although in Kindle you can do it too, it's just highlight um, yeah. bits that I don't understand. And then I would go back and, you know, get my dictionary out at the end of a chapter, at the end of two or three pages, look up the words, read through it again, see if it all made sense. But uh, one of the things that I notice in a lot of my students is that when they read and we work with, you know, we, we I, I like working with a lot of news articles and sort of uh, especially gossip pages just because they make me laugh. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the kind of um, the kind of thing that I notice is that a lot of times my students will read something and they misunderstand it, but they don't know they've misunderstood. Um, so the comprehension queries that you mentioned, they are very they are very important to make sure that people actually know what's yeah. going on. Exactly, exactly. And this is, this is really difficult if you're learning on your own. You can't really check your own understanding if you don't know if you're really understanding it. Mm -hmm. So this can be, can be tricky, definitely. So that's really where your teaching expertise kind of comes into what you are writing and what makes your books different from just a, a kid's book for German kids. Right, right. There, there are. It's, it's uh, not that much, so to speak, but these are solid things that are helpful, like vocabulary and comprehension questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are the, the kind of teaching devices which are explicitly embedded in these books. I think that's really, I think that makes them really special. And there's something, there's something that I found really exciting, um, which is the, the choose your own adventure Kindle books that you did. Or that you're still yeah. doing. Um, and uh, just in case uh, listeners haven't come across these yet, Andre has written two books for Kindle and they are called Jinnerin and what's the other one? Uh, Shanima. Yeah, Jinnerin and Shanima, um, both of which are fantasy books and they are Choose Your Own Adventure, which means that at the end of a chapter, um, you are asked the question of what you would like the main actor to do. Um, based on what you decide they do, you jump to a different page in the book um, and you you get to then control how their adventure continues or whether they run into a wall, whether they run into an enemy, whether they die. Um, it's kind of based in role-playing games, really, isn't it? And I love these mm -hmm. stories, you know, being a massive nerd um, or a medium, <laughs> medium nerd. 
<laughs> I do really enjoy them. Um, but listening to you talk about comprehension, I think that's a, you then have a real consequence of not understanding something right. Do you think that's true? Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't have the confidence that you're really understanding what you're reading. Yes, yeah. Or if you think something is happening in the story, but that's not quite what's happening. And then you choose, <laughs> you choose the wrong path based on that. Ah, uh, yeah. And yes. In, in that context, yes, it has real consequences. Yeah. You might even die in the story. Yeah? In the sto <laughs> not for real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then what, what happens if you die in the book? Does it send you back to the chapter again? Yeah, the, 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 you have two choices. You could either return to all the way to the beginning, mm -hmm. but uh, most people will just hit the back button, right? <laughs> and continue uh, where, they, yeah. where they made the, the last decision. I think that's really, that, as for a learner, that's a great prompt just to say, look, try again, you know, read through this exactly. again. Um, it's, it's not real... the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, and looking through, the, looking through the Kindle book, the Generin, which is the one that I've read, um, I found it an absolutely really smart way of keeping learners and getting them to read things again and again. Um, because I think for getting a sense of language, you should repeat a passage a few times. Um, and this Definitely. is one way of getting people to do that more than once without getting incredibly bored. Yes. So as interesting as a text may be, if you read it 1000 times, it won't be interesting anymore. Absolutely. And that's, um, Talking to Jason Levine, you know about the hip hop songs that he makes. Some a very yeah. interest, um, a very interesting parallel that I see is that we keep coming across this thing as teachers that you're not going to do something enough times to learn it unless it's really interesting. Right. And uh, that's so so important, and that's the big challenge for for you as an author, for me as a teacher or somebody who writes something, for Jace as a musician is we've got to get these things somehow to be instructional and interesting that's true <laughs> it's not a small feat <laughs> exactly yes so how do you think creativity comes into language teaching oh uh, basically if you don't bring in creativity to language teaching um, you won't be a very good teacher so um, I mean This is how I always imagine um, that our grandparents learned languages uh, in general, whether it was Latin or even perhaps Greek. Mm -hmm. It was a very kind of normative, uncreative approach where you just literally went through uh, learning lists and, and learning them by heart. This approach um, won't fly anymore today with, with no one, I think. So I think if, if you're already teaching languages in any kind of way, you have to be creative. Like there's, there's no way around that. And whatever you use, whether it's music or TV or stories, you just you have to use whatever you can. And I get a lot of, a lot of emails from uh, teachers that, that are telling me that they're so happy to find these stories because... Teachers are really looking for things that they can use, which are not just, again, the same textbook they have been working with for the last 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, it's definitely, I mean, I, I like working with textbooks because they are structured um, and they sort of give me as a teacher 
a kind of roadmap and give my learner a roadmap as well, where they sort of know what comes next in the grammar stages. Right. And I do really have a big, um, I do rely on the kind of um, A1, B1 um, classification system. I think it, I think it's a really good guide just to sort of know where you are with language learning. But at the same time, it's like you say, that doesn't, that it's really hard to get somebody excited about that. Right. And also if maybe uh, for the student you're teaching this to, it's, it's new for each student. They haven't read, uh, uh, haven't worked through all of these units yet. But for you, depending on how many times you've done this as a teacher, this might be like literally the, the 5,000th time you, you've read this paragraph. And it makes it really difficult also to, to get across that excitement, as you say. Mm, that's very true. And how the same question about creativity and language learning do you think it's do you think it's easy to be a creative language learner in the in the modern day being supported by the internet and i mean how has the internet changed language learning wow that's a that's a big question it has changed a, a lot i would say and uh, and also not at all at the same time um there's always this uh, thing that crops up when you talk to people on the net about language learning. You look into forums and somebody says, hey, I want to learn something. And another one says, hey, have you like looked at Duolingo or something like that? Yeah. And there's, there's a kind of a sense that it has become much more accessible on the one hand. You can just sign up for something for free and just start clicking things, take it on your mobile phone, wherever you are. And, and you're actually learning things here and there. But at the same time, it is still somewhat limited and you have to be creative if you really want to uh, make a progress. So that means you really have to work on your own and see what, what works for you. There's, there's not just this one way which works for everyone. I think that's very true. And I, I often find that um, the kind of self, I think that's, you are right. The reason there are now more independent, self-directed learners than ever before is, I think, to do with the fact that you can just download an app and get started. And then suddenly you're a language learner. It's very, very easy to start. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's really, there's nothing, you know, the, the barrier to that has been reduced so, so much. And I find that the expectations people set themselves and the kind of the expectations people have of a simple app that teaches you a little bit of vocab and perhaps a few, perhaps a few sort of set pieces, um, is is very high. Um, yes. So it's it's difficult to communicate to somebody that you know just using just using Duolingo doesn't really teach you a language and to bring in the stories like you have. I think that's that's almost the next step. It's the you know can you. Can you take what you take? Can you take what you're learning in an app? Can you take what you're learning in a, you know, on a on an abstract website and put it into a real life context? Exactly, and it's the kind of a test um, that many people don't get, or like um, that you actually have to seek out to be more precise. It's easy to to work through an app, and the app shows you smiley faces and shows you achievements and badges and so on. Mm. But unless and we love badges. Yeah, we all love badges, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. 
but if you don't go ahead and, and go out and speak to someone, uh, you don't really know where, where you really where you really are, yeah, on the on the scale, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, like, do I really have the ability to order a coffee and uh, I feel I get my point across, or like, do I just know the words, but at the moment where I have to put it all together, I just kind of it all falls apart, yeah. Mm. And there is something that you there's something that you mentioned there about speaking to people, and I I find that really interesting because again. It's simple enough to get hold of a native speaker and it's simple enough to start a language exchange, as it is known. You can almost do that for free if you are very, very disciplined and you find somebody who is equally disciplined. So it's not quite that easy. Um, But I often find when I talk to language learners that they don't really go above and beyond, say a lot of people will stop their language exchange after nine or ten lessons because these are not really lessons. You're just kind of having a very basic conversation and you don't, you, you struggle to move beyond sort of three topics, say your your pets, your immediate environment. And the shared story, the storytelling there can be such a powerful device to get you talking about something new. Definitely, yes. And so have you had experiences with, you know, students or teachers saying to you that they are using your, your stories to expand the vocabulary and expand the knowledge and speaking abilities of students, of learners? Um, Actually, I just received an email today of a guy who moved to Germany recently. And uh, he said that he has been reading one of my beginner books, the Café in Berlin from the Dino Lernt Deutsch series. Mm -hmm. And he says it has helped him so much to, to kind of to get a feel for the language. Again, it's not specific information or learning grammar, but feeling that you can relate to the language as a whole, not just isolated parts of it. Mm-hmm. So this I really hear again and again by people. Oh, that's so interesting and so useful. You're making me want to write stories now. <laughs> so the, that I think is the thing that makes you extremely interesting. And there's something that um, I really want to find out about because we are both currently in the progress of in the process of self-publishing is what do you think makes your book different from something that would be published by a traditional sort of language textbook writing company, something like Pimsler or Teach Yourself, or if we're talking German learning, Cornelsen is a really big name in German as a foreign language and Huber. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's a very, very good question. Um, I'm not sure I have a totally conscious a response or approach even to that, uh, except for the fact that I'm trying to create stories which are enjoyable for what they are, stories. I'm not um, trying to write stories as a teaching device primarily, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to write stories. So, And for myself as a writer, that's actually a very interesting and challenging process because creativity gets most interesting when there's a limitation. So it's like here you have a limited set of options. What can you do out of it? So that's kind of the question that I ask myself. So we're looking at a beginner stage, let's say, and there are certain things which you just can't do, right? Especially when it comes to German. There are, there are things you, you, can't, you can't bring this. You, you can't <laughs> torture people with a conjunctive two or... Um, sentences which go on and on forever and nobody knows where the verb is. Mm-hmm. So you have to really <laughs> limit it to, to some kind of basics. 
that's and then to see what can we do with it especially for german uh, for me as a german teacher um this is my official apology to all of my students because what i do is i do find texts quite frequently um online that i think oh this is going to be brilliant this has got all the vocabulary in that my student wants to learn it's got you know say i have one student she's a massage therapist um and she, you know she wants to learn all this vocabulary and and i find her all these texts and um i forget that the texts are really difficult for a german right person. exactly and that's that is tricky because halfway through her trying to translate a sentence that goes on for 20 lines i start <laughs> apologizing and going oh sorry 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 right let's go looking for this verb um exactly german does do that yes and it's probably not the only language out there Definitely. These are things we aren't even aware of that uh, we just we just use kind of words which are unnecessarily complicated or like uh, or the sentence structures. And it, it could be much simpler. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if there are always varieties. So and as speakers, we, we tend to speak creatively. So we don't always just use the most basic option. And how do you find, do you find that people who you read your books will find that their vocabulary expands or that they, you know, that they just get better and really feel like they reach a different level? Because I speak to a lot of people who, who just have it in their mind that they want to Uh, level up. So again, we're talking video game <laughs> language, um, and I personally have an issue with that. I think it's it's just it's beside the point. I think you're you're getting better, but you don't have to be able to tell all the time that you're getting better in language learning. But if you are a learner all by yourself, you don't really know that you're getting better. So do you feel like somebody who finishes your story will get that great sense of achievement? Should we make them a badge? <laughs> it it really it really depends on on the individual i guess but i've heard from many people that they say that they feel that their vocabulary has increased and whether that's now scientifically accurate or not uh, is a, is another thing but i think if a person already has the confidence that he has learned something and then he, if he goes through it a second or a third time and he says wow i do recognize these words now then that's already something that's very helpful And do you base your stories on vocabulary lists? Sort of, are they A1 appropriate or something like that? Or do you go by gut feeling? Not meticulously. There is a kind of a, a sense. I, I'm not a huge fan of these, um, the European framework of, what is it called, uh, of uh, classifying these stages. Uh, yes. Common European very... framework of reference. Thank you, Kerstin. Exactly. So um, there is a kind of a sense um, where, where that, Uh, it is helpful to think in these categories generally, but um, I'm not meticulously uh, trying to adhere to these categories. Mm. So, uh, as I've said, for me, the most important thing is a good story, a story which is entertaining, a story which is engaging uh, outside of even the context of language learning. We're just looking at a story, what makes it interesting to read. And we're dealing with a story with, which, is, which has to be written in a very simple language. And uh, depending on the kind of category or level of learner we are trying to reach, it, it may, may change a bit. Yeah? 
but really the story comes first. And uh, I also do extensive editing with these things so that later then I see, oh, okay, this word, for example, you really uh, should not uh, force an A1 learner to, to cope with this or something. Yeah? So mm. then I find an easier alternative. Yes. I'll say, so you, you put the story first, you write from more or less Definitely. from the heart. So you want to tell a good story, but then you do edit through it and make sure that the language is accessible and simple. It's exactly. like you said, simple enough. Not too simple and still somewhat interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, excellent. And I find that I love the way that the thing that I sort of admire about everything that you have produced and also about your company, Learn Out Live, is the sort of the strong feeling of independence in there. So perhaps to finish off, if you'd like to talk a little bit about your company philosophy and where you see independence, self-publishing, independence in learning, um, and what, what does independence mean to you generally? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, it's the whole question of why to to be independent in the first place, right? Why not to just work for a company or for a publishing house? Yeah, in a way, why don't you just you know why don't you just get a job? <laughs> exactly. Why don't exactly. we all the just question, get a job? <laughs> you know, all our friends have been asking us for years. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing actually? <laughs> what are we trying to What are we trying to achieve as independent teachers? I think is a is a massively important question. Definitely, that's also a question I think, which uh, whose answer changes from day to day. So. Um, but I think it's it's about freedom, as as cheesy as that may sound or may not sound to to others. It's uh, a, a matter of finding some kind of a place of uncompromised freedom, uh, whatever that may mean in a in a certain moment. So if, if it's language teaching, for example, that when you're teaching on your own, you can really do whatever you like. Uh, okay, the student has to kind of benefit from it because you do make a living from it. But apart from this, there are no limitations what you do, how you try to, to access, uh, to approach the learner. Whereas if you're, if you're teaching in certain schools at least, which are very well known, there are certain guidelines and philosophies where you can't really break out of those. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel um, that really resonates with me as a, as a teacher or the way I approach language teaching is I purposefully didn't do um, a Kelter course or a TESOL course or any one of those courses because I felt that what I want to offer students is to teach from a place of having learned the language myself and to only teach what worked for me and to, you know, teach, uh, not teach, but to, this is where maybe this is more the kind of coaching or what is called coaching these days is to observe every individual, see what works for them um, and then work with them on a basis that is bespoke more or less and that's what one-to-one -one teaching means to me definitely and with writing it's it's more or less the same right if you if you are writing for a, um, a textbook publishing house you can just do whatever you like there are, there are certain guidelines they have their um 
their audience that they want to reach, their demographic and uh, their editors, they, they need to think to be in a, in a certain way as up to certain standards, which are their standards, which are not absolute. So they think that this may work for them, but maybe you have other ideas. And only by being independent, you can really influence all of these things from the first to the last step, I always say, in, when it comes to publishing, you, you have full control over the whole thing from, from the cover design to the way you market the, the final product in the end. Mm, that's definitely true. It's, there's, there's a real value to that. And if you are independent, I find as, a, as an author too, and you know, somebody who produces, you know, tries to produce quality is you set your own standards. You decide when it's good enough, which can be a curse. So my question to you would be, how can a language learner um, who is looking for alternative resources, alternative teaching methods, who maybe wants to go beyond Duolingo and textbooks um, and, you know, Rosetta Stone, where can they, where can they find us? How can, how do they know they're getting quality? That's a really, really good question. And I'm not yeah. sure there is no, only there one an answer. answer. <laughs> yes. Yes. These are the, the best questions anyway, that don't really have one answer. Yeah? Mm. So it's maybe it's uh, the creativity of the uh, the student is what what will will guide him to to find these materials in the end because there is a lot of uh, stuff out there which i wouldn't recommend to anyone ah interesting yes no you you're right you're right i agree and at the same time there's a lot of stuff out there where i feel like jesus why doesn't everybody see this why doesn't everybody you know, this is really good stuff. Let's, you know, let's give exactly. it a voice. Let's put it out there a little bit more. It's often a matter of marketing that the the really well-known things, they are, they are all out there all over the place. They may not be the best, but you have like little things produced by independent people here and there, which may be great, but they just don't have this kind of a reach and, and marketing power behind them. So many people would simply not know about them. I find at the moment, you know, trying to having reissued and trying to um, get the message out about, hey, I've got these books and, you know, I've written them for you and I think they're good. Um, I find that I'm having to be very creative in the way that, you know, and, and sort of very confident as well in the promotion behind them. And that's one of the big challenges um, to take a step back to what I was what you know it's come back to me what i was trying to talk about earlier um is that you say maybe the learner needs to it's the creativity of the learner it's the um the desire of the learner to find independent materials so perhaps it's also a case of um encouraging learners or at this stage um you know as in my little podcast to the 10 people that are listening um i would really if you're a language learner like to encourage people to you know a go looking for independent materials because there's probably much more out there than you think um and to ask you know to ask the question of people like me people like andre um because we probably know people like us much much more than a language learner who's just starting out would you agree definitely definitely learners we should not treat learners also as empty receptacles mm. right so people really have to go and 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 see for themselves what works and what doesn't there are millions of things out there 
And uh, since we have the internet, we have access to most of that without even leaving the house. Everything mm -hmm. is within reach, virtually one click away. So go and explore. Um, okay, so that is pretty much um, all that I've had to talk about. Is there anything in particular you'd like to say on the topic of creativity and language learning that you want me to add? Um, perhaps as a kind of final comment or uh, something just that I'm always thinking about is uh, what, what are stories actually? Um, I often ask myself this. There is some kind of a, a magic almost that happens when we tell stories, when we hear stories. Um, our lives are, are full of stories that we hear from people all around us. And if you like, even our cultures are built on stories. If we even look at something like Bible stories or so, or uh, even older things where civilizations that have long disappeared, we don't know what these people did in their daily life, how they, uh, what was their philosophy or something, but we still have their stories. So there is something immensely powerful in that, which I think we may not even be fully aware of. But if, on the other hand, we look at the popularity of uh, television series such as perhaps Mad Men or Game of Thrones or something, we see that there's a great demand for good stories. Mm, absolutely. That makes me wonder whether um, your next step will be to, you know, put your stories on the screen. Have you ever considered doing that? Yeah, not really, actually. So <laughs> Send them I'm kind of... Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kind of working on first steps of uh, doing audio versions of these stories for now, because many people have asked me in terms of pronunciation. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of slowly starting this now and we'll see where that goes. Yes, definitely. Because it's, it's like you say, it's keeping it at the simple enough at the comprehensible level, keeping it interesting but also bringing in that little bit of teaching content, that will be a really interesting challenge. Absolutely. Excellent. Right. Well, um, Andre, where can people find you on the internet? Where would you like to direct people? Well, the best address would probably just go to learnoutlive.com. And this is where I write the, the blog. And you can also find links to all the other relevant things from there. Mm -hmm. And you're also quite a active Twitter user. And I, I've noticed you've got two Twitter accounts. So tell me about those two. Well, there are actually uh, three oh. <laughs> or, or even a few more. Amazing. <laughs> it, it depends because there are so many different things that uh, I feel kind of sometimes I don't want to uh, bombard people with all of these different interests at the same time. So they're kind of different Twitter accounts for different interests. Okay, right. Well, thank you very much, Andre. And thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you as, as always. Likewise. Okay. Thanks a lot. And that was it for my amazing, inspiring interview with Andre Klein. I'm really, really 
proud of all the information that he shared. I think we had a really good conversation. And as you can tell, this guy knows what he's doing. And we both have this thing in common where we really value uncompromised independence. Which area in your life is it where you are uncompromisingly independent and if it's your language learning congratulations because that is what Andre and I are working on trying to help you achieve language learning is about the way that you find works best for you and with that I'm going to end this podcast before we run into a whole hour of fluent uh, please do go check out my amazing new books fluency made achievable and the vocab learning cookbook they are both available through fluentlanguage.co.uk slash book and I can't wait for you to you know tell me what you think about my new books it would be really great and tell me um, you know what can I do what is it that you want to see next it'll be great and that's it signing off for the creative language learning podcast Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast in iTunes, particularly if you enjoyed it. And don't forget that you can also let me know what you're thinking. You can email Kirsten, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk, or you can follow me on Twitter, and it's simply Fluent Language on there. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.